Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Friday, September 22nd. Now that the city's housing strategy has been approved, will we see funds from the federal government to support the plan? We discuss the road ahead when it comes to the strategy with Mayor Jody Gondek. Have you ever tried to get an official government document and thought, well, wouldn't it be nice if I could just do this online? We discuss the issue of digital, or more so the lack thereof, when it comes to accessing government services here in Canada with Viet Vu, Manager of Economic Research from Toronto Metropolitan University. And finally, could the Hollywood strike be coming to an end? And how about the job action from the United Auto Workers? We head stateside for all the headlines making news with Reggie Cicchini, Washington reporter with Global News. The city's housing strategy has passed. What comes next? It's the hottest topic in the city of Calgary. Joining us to talk about this and everything going on in our fair city is Mayor Jyoti Gondek. Good morning, Madam Mayor. How are you? I'm great. Good morning, Sue and Andy. How's it going? Uh, Excellent. Thank you. It's Friday. Can't go wrong, really. Um, And ahead of a nice weekend, too. Let's talk about housing. You and your team put in a lot of hours looking at this, trying to get things passed, moving ahead, and and trying to find some answers. So with the strategy passing, what comes next? What does this mean? Well, we listened to 162 members of the public um, present their perspective on the housing strategy, which was an incredible experience. Um, We learned many things about what they're going through when it comes to rents being hiked, when it comes to inability to be able to access a place. Um, We talked to people that are in some pretty dire situations. And so when we made our final decision at the special meeting of council on Saturday night, it was well informed by the public. And what will happen now is some of the things that can be acted upon immediately, like identifying city-owned land for Um, mixed housing models uh, when it comes to finding land for an emergency uh, temporary shelter for families that are unhoused right now. Those things will be moving forward very, very quickly. The one that will take a little bit longer is the decision to initiate a land use change. And by that, I mean going from one single unit on one single lot to the ability to have one, two, three, or four on that single lot that's going to require public engagement and a full public hearing, and that decision will come to us next year. All right, and when you, we've talked about the housing strategy and the housing crisis in general on this program many times, and with you, Madam Mayor, we've talked about the many different parts and the many different you know, institutions, organizations, and levels of government. So to that end, have you heard from uh, Minister Fraser regarding the funding from the federal government, and is that something that can not slow down the cogs of this machine? It's been interesting to watch the number of federal elected officials who have weighed in on the strategy, um, you know, from both sides, frankly, um, who have said you need to approve the Folsom strategy. It's very good and it really takes care of people. And, you know, the minister had indicated um, support for the housing strategy prior to us going through the committee meeting and the council meeting. Since we've made the decision, he has connected with us and said, He's very happy about the decision that was reached and uh, the funding will be moving forward. Now we just have to wait and see how much we're going to get and which projects that we approved uh, or sorry that we submitted, which ones will be approved that we can move forward with. Mayor, do we know or can you share any information about the shelters, the, the quick shelters that we're hoping to get set up for people who really need housing now, what that might look like, where they might be? Are there any details you can share? Well, I had brought an amendment that indicated we needed to identify one city-owned site, and it was actually um, upgraded to two sites, which I was Mm -hmm. very happy about. 
Um, and we will work with a partner that specializes in modular building, you know, so if, if you can, um, we're most familiar with ATCO trailers, so I, I will use that name just to familiarize people with what we're talking about. If we can do some sort of a build that could put modular homes up quickly and we can ensure that families are able to access that temporary shelter while they are going through the system of finding something more permanent, it prevents them from having to be unhoused for a period in time. I would imagine we can act on that fairly soon. I wish I could give you a better timeline. I know that our private sector partners are really interested in moving quickly, so it's a matter of identifying the land and getting the approvals in place. And I, I'm not sure if this was just by happenstance, uh, Madam Mayor, or if people understand that you're here every Friday, but we had a text about you and your weekend plans literally at about 528 this morning <laughs> saying that we know where the mayor will be on Sunday celebrating all things YYC music with the YYC Music Awards. This sounds like a fantastic event and a real tip of the hat to those artists in our city. Yeah, absolutely. I was able to go last year. Um, it's held at the Great Eagle and just the level of excitement in the room. And here's the best part. How Calgary is this? Everyone's excited for each other. And of course yeah. you want to win. But even when, you know, the, the nominees didn't win, they were fully behind the winners. And you could feel their excitement for their colleagues that were getting awards. And it's just, it's an amazing thing to be a part of. We've got an incredible music scene in our city. This is such a great way to spotlight those artists. Not only that, we've got the Calgary International Film Fest underway, and I understand there's a, a little celebration of the arts or for the arts coming up uh, on Wednesday, October 18th, that you have your name attached to as well. Yeah, um, I had the ability to take in um, the International Film Fest, which is an amazing opportunity for Calgarians to see what's happening in the film industry. And on October 18th, I'm throwing a little party. I tried this last year and it was incredible. We had so many different artists perform. We had people dance. We had a massive choir that actually amalgamated a bunch of people with amazing voices to do a Foo Fighters song. Um, it's hosted by some great talent in our city and it's just such a good way to celebrate how important arts and culture is, not only to the economy, but to our well-being and our spirit in the city. I want to extend an invitation, unbeknownst to Sue Dielp, um, <laughs> because it involves her in doing some work. Because okay. I, I, I did heavy lifting last week. As you may or may not know, we've talked about, about how vibrant the city is. Lots going on. Right now, it happens to be yycpizzafest.com. Mm. Yeah, that's where you go, yycpizzafest.com, and proceeds help out, uh, you know, Meals on Wheels Calgary. Great chance to sample some pie. So next Friday, Sue's going to try to get some pizza in studio. <laughs> so what we need is for you to come down live oh, and enjoy idea. the fruits or the pepperoni or sausage or mushrooms it of could be Sue's the, labor. The um, pineapple fruit. Yeah, it could be the case. But here's the question for you, Madam Mayor, and I was mentioning this earlier, and a lot of weight on your shoulders. We've been saying, what's the best, you know, kind of ma and pa, the local pizza joint in town that one Cal every Calgarian should try, in your opinion? Oh. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Good luck. Yikes. And can a mayor be impartial about something like that? I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll position it. <laughs> Here <this> we go. <laughs> Given that I live up in North Calgary, um, I try to go to places that are, are closer to me mm -hmm. when I can. And before I ever became mayor or a counselor and I was, uh, you know, just hanging out, doing my thing, there's a place called Senores that is unbelievable. And I have to say, I'm a big sucker for Tom's House of Pizza as well. Mm, okay, so, fair. 
off the top of my head, given my proximity to those two places, I would name them. Okay. It's funny because, yes, uh, Tom's one of our good partners here. We love what Tom's does mm-hmm. and super unique, fantastic. We've got some gift cards in the next week or we so. Do. But the Signores, um, I've been, I haven't been for years, uh, but I know that they did a revamp and a, a renovation, and I've seen pictures as recently as the past six months where they, they get lined up out the door. Oh, it's always lined up out the door. Impressive. Uh, Mayor, I'll be eating Palermo in Coventry, Palermo pizza tonight with my kids. So, you know, if you're not doing anything, you want to stop by, you can try that too. I'm going to come on over. Okay, it's a deal. (laughs) Uh, So you've got big plans this weekend. Uh, Once again, so many amazing events going on in this great city of ours, whether it's food, whether it's entertainment, the arts, or pizza, there's always something to do. Thanks so much for uh, breaking things down with us this morning. Appreciate your time as always. Thank you. Have a great weekend. You too. That is Calgary Mayor Jyoti Gondek. I spent part of yesterday at the Harry Hayes building to get my passport. It wasn't too bad, but still, it was an hour plus of my time. Wouldn't it be nice if I could have done the whole thing online? Is the government of Canada behind the times? Why haven't more government services gone digital? Joining us to talk about the digital transformation of the Canadian government is Viet Vu, Manager of Economic Research, the Dias at Toronto Metropolitan University. Good morning to you. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Uh, digital transformation. What are we talking about? Are are there a lot or could most government services go digital, go online? Yeah, absolutely. And and the sad thing is that we used to be really great at it. And so the United Nations actually rank every single government in the world on how digital governments are. And we used to be in sixth place in the world in 2003. And... By 2022, we've actually dropped all the way down to 32nd. And right now, uh, across the federal government, only about 23% or one in five sort of government services are available online end-to-end. That is to mean you only need a computer with the internet access to access it. Incredible, incredible. So can we uh, just back it up a bit and break down some of these services that, you know, could be online but are not? Give us sort of a list if we could. Absolutely. I mean, we all, I'm sure, has the experience of trying to pay taxes that we owe to the CRA to then realize that, oh, we need to print out this weird QR code, mm. bring it down to the local Canada Post to then pay that using our debit card. The passport example we just gave at the beginning, and there's a lot of services that should be available online that we know technology exists that just isn't there yet. Are there some, like, passports, for example, that really can't be done online, or or could anything ultimately be done virtually? I think it's ultimately a choice on how you invest in in security technologies, things like um, identity verification, cybersecurity um, technologies that's available. There are, I'm sure, ultimately... Uh, services that you can't necessarily put online, lots of social support services, um, support that, that you provide to senior support that you provide to rural areas, particularly considering that Canada is actually not a universally connected country, that I'm sure will have an in-person component. But when the vast majority of Canadians use the internet, has access to the internet, and expect almost all of the interaction to happen through online, the government of Canada is really behind the times in not providing that option to citizens. Hmm. We are speaking with uh, Viet Vu, Manager of Economic Research. He's with the Toronto Metropolitan University. And uh, Viet, so so let's, let's bottom line this. What's the disconnect? Is it a cost issue? Is it a brain issue and not having enough people to implement it? Why are we being held up? 
It's a really great question. And in our research, we sort of broke it down. The three key components that the government really needs to get right to ensure that it can sort of meet people where it's at. The first surrounds what we call digital culture. And what that means, right, is that every single time a discussion happens within government on introducing a new service, improving a new service, they need to think about digital technology. They can't just think of digital technology as a nice thing that they can add on. It really needs to be central in conversations. And that then leads to that second component, which has to do with digital talent. We need experts working inside government who are actually empowered to take actions to digitize the government. <laughs> and that also means that they need to be paid adequately so that they could, can actually compete adequately with the private sector, which we know takes more and m- manages to get the best digital talent out there. And then finally, there is a, a, a pillar, which is about ensuring digital access. Because as I said earlier, Canada is not a universally connected country. And even if we manage to digitize every single thing, it's not going to do anything if people doesn't have the means to actually access it. And so investing in universal connectivity and in fast internet, all of these infrastructure pieces also need to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, Viet, are there examples from around the world we can look at where a government has really done a good job and, and digital transformation is you know, currently underway or already achieved? There are, I think, really great examples from across the world, actually. Um, if you look at Estonia um, as a European example, where they have actually introduced a comprehensive EID system, where the government actually also has a really clear AI strategy, as well as all of these different uh, well-thought-out centralized ideas about how to ensure that government is digital. If you're also thinking about some Asian allies um, in Japan, Right now, when you're entering Japan as a foreigner, you can actually just submit your immigration papers in customs forms prior to arriving that facilitates that sort of quickness of the process. And so there are many, many examples in the world, and we're really playing a catch-up here. Viet, though, the, to play devil's advocate, you know, the, the convenience is, is great, and digital has been the way we've been moving toward. But, and again, from that devil's advocate angle, the security aspect. It's been more than ever that we're worried about cyber crime. So, so maybe this is not the worst thing in the world to uh, have, you know, a little bit of digital, but not 100%. It's a great, great point. And particularly recently with concerns around cybersecurity and state actors actually interfering in many of our political and democratic process, that's rightly on many Canadians' minds as an issue that they're worried about. But once you get those core pieces right, once governments think about digital from a central perspective, then they're also going to put cybersecurity as a key concern. Because quite frankly, the worst thing that can happen when sort of digital government becomes a, a sideline conversation is that they're also probably not going to think about cybersecurity in the right way because that is on the sidelines. And that probably ends up with a higher risk of Canadians' privacy and data being violated more than than if they actually put digital in the center of conversations. Fascinating discussion. Uh, Maybe, maybe our government will catch up with the times at some point. Thanks so much for joining us, Viet. Appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. Viet Vu, Manager of Economic Research, the Dias at Toronto Metropolitan University.
And rising tension between Canada and India, forcing members of the Indo-Canadian community to rethink some travel plans. Some uh, information coming out that uh, may tie in the information that Canada got on the, the killing of a uh, sick uh, gentleman in B.C. that the information may have come from the U.S. Let's see if we can get some details from Reggie Cicchini, who joins us. He is our Washington correspondent for Global News, of course. Good morning, Reggie. Thanks for being with us. Good morning. Uh, do you know any more about that uh, latest fallout uh, after this week's announcement by the Prime Minister that there's an investigation into credible allegations that New Delhi was involved in the killing of this sick independence activist and maybe this information came from our friends down in the United States? Well, look, if it did come from the United States, it is not something that is being publicly discussed or even um even privately discussed from from conversations I've had with people in both the State Department uh, and at the White House this week. All we're hearing on a kind of public front here uh, is that the United States, A, has expressed deep concern uh, over the death and that, according to a State Department official who told me yesterday, uh, that they are urging the Indian government to cooperate fully with the Canadian government, so that they're kind of they're 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 dancing a very delicate line here, and it's solely because the United States is really trying to cultivate a new friendship uh, with India, uh, and they've now been put in this awkward situation of trying to placate a new friend while expressing concern for a deep old friend. Reggie, when you gave that answer, you mentioned you know from what you're hearing. I'm wondering though, because you're very much dialed in on all things political south of the border, and obviously you have a dog in the fight on our side of the border here in Canada. But uh, do the average Americans hear about this? Is this making mainstream news headlines in the States? Not, I, I mean, it is in the fact that it, it's, a, it's a topic that's being widely discussed both uh, during White House press briefings uh, and it's kind of reaching kind of the periphery of headlines. But at the end of the day, it's not a story that's, that's kind of been picked up and being played, you know, at the top of the newscast or on, on kind of front page above the fold major newspapers down here. But the fact that it is, uh, getting any kind of, of kind of coverage, and it was actually the first question answered at the White House press briefing yesterday, shows that there is a legitimate concern here from the White House that's trying to be expressed outwards to say, look, no other country has a right to be able to go into another country and carry out this kind of an act. Obviously, this you know plays into the heels of what you know, say Russia is doing into Ukraine. The White House is, is obviously deeply concerned uh, about this, and the fact that it is being discussed shows that that level of concern is at a higher point than, say, any other story that may be coming out of Canada. Reggie, let's change tax a little bit. This one certainly is front and center because it really impacts our entertainment. Uh, could the Hollywood strike be coming to an end? It looks like maybe they're going to get back to chatting about it. And all the polling shows that uh, we, the people, are behind the actors and the writers, etc. So it seems like it's something they should get on pretty quick. Yeah, I mean, look, there was talks that went on, extensive talks that went on yesterday between the union and some of the big CEOs at some of the big networks and streamers, and they talked late into the night. No deal was made, despite some reports suggesting that they were closer. But the fact that they are closer and continuing to talk, you know, 160-ish days into this strike, shows that there could be some kind of movement here. We don't know when the next round of talks uh, are going to start. We also don't know if they do start, what that's actually going to do to, to the kind of fall or mid season schedule on TV because most of these schedules are out or already actively in place. So while people want um, actors to be able to get their fair share, there's a general question here of what happens if writers and actors go back to work? How long does everyone else have to watch reality TV? <laughs> oh, 
from uh, one, you know, uh, strike action situation to another. How about the United Auto Workers strike and the impact it's not only having on automakers, but of course, consumers down the line? What are we seeing as far as resolution and getting things back up and running? And what sort of an impact will that have on the industry? Well, I mean, look, this strike is ongoing and we're within the next couple of hours. We'll find out what the next step in this strike is going to be. There is a noon deadline for today that if this, if, uh, if if no deal has been made or negotiations aren't strong enough, that the UAW president has said the strike is going to expand and they'll move beyond just the three targeted plants. This could go after additional plants. There's even a risk that the, the UAW president shuts down um, production at all facilities around the United States if he feels that the deal is simply not uh, close enough. And this is starting to resonate. Obviously, local economies are being hit by this. There are other sympathy strikes from the UAW that are taking place with a uh, parts supplier from Mercedes down in Alabama walking out a couple of days ago. It's 13,000 of 150,000 people walked out right now. If they don't get a deal, we could see all 150,000 people walk out possibly as early as today and obviously that has ripple impacts because cars are not just built in america they're shipped mm-hmm. back and forth across the borders of canada and mexico so it's a it's, there is a real trickle down impact here reggie how about this one uh, latest findings so what are we hearing from the national oceanic and atmospheric administration talking about climate disasters particularly in the u.s yeah, I mean, this is a big deal, especially with a new tropical storm that's about to form off the U.S. coast and possibly barrel into the Carolinas in here in Washington over the next 48 hours. Not as big, but NOAA says that there have been 23 disasters that have had a price tag of at least $1 billion, and there is still a quarter of the year to go. I think the total price tag uh, is somewhere around $260 billion just this year from climate Uh, disasters and the White House is really pushing here to say look we need to do something to be better prepared for this for when a big storm comes we need the money to be able uh, to to send uh, uh, FEMA uh, and and other agencies to be able to help with this but at the end of the day there's a lot of old infrastructure in the United States and it takes a lot to rebuild that and there's a real risk here that this 23 one billion dollar disasters could dramatically increase by the time the year comes because there's still more than a month left in hurricane season. Well, interesting. Hey, uh, we're uh, back to history repeating itself, Reggie, and the question of would there or could there be a government shutdown? Just a little over a week left with that countdown clock, uh, but I I feel like we've read this story before. Where are we at this time out? Well, this time it's much more real, uh, and it's because Republicans, especially the House Speaker, uh, is losing control over his party. They couldn't pass a defense spending bill earlier in this week. They couldn't pass a Pentagon spending bill yesterday. Uh, And if they can't get their act together, there's a risk here that whatever they try to cobble together and send to the democratically held Senate, the Senate's simply going to reject it. So the September 30th deadline for the government shutting down is becoming more real here. That could become problematic for Republicans next year when it comes to the election. But it could also become problematic to the war in Ukraine, because while Ukraine funding is a part of the reason Republicans are pushing back and and potentially ready to shut the government down, if it happens, weapons deliveries and critical training would stop. For, uh, for soldiers in Ukraine being helped by the American government. So it's a domestic issue that could have a serious impact on the global front. Reggie, lots going on. Thanks so much for breaking it all down for us. Have a great weekend. Thank you. Reggie Cicchini is our Washington correspondent for Global News.